This week's podcast is brought to you by Zenith Wealth. You may think financial planning is for older people, but it can be valuable for individuals at all stages of life. We help clients from their 20s through to their 70s and beyond, working with them to make sure their dreams come true and they have a life they love. At Zenith Wealth, we offer a wide range of financial services, and that can include advice on superannuation, cash flow management, investing, debt reduction, personal insurances, aged care, and a whole lot more. And we align ourselves with the very, very best strategic service partners. Uh, So uh, if we can't help you, we'll certainly find someone who can. So come and check us out at zenithwealth.com.au. Come and say good day to the team. We're at 50 Marine Terrace, South Burnie, 56 Best Street, Devonport. Or, of course, you'll find us online at all the W's, zenithwealth.com.au. Welcome back, listeners. Here we are again. We must be up to episode number... Number eight. Eight. I think number eight. Eight, eight, eight or nine. I'm not sure. I've lost track. But uh, wasn't last week's episode a cracker? Last week's episode was so funny. Having Jackie Lambie in the studio was pretty sensational, wasn't it? We were very, very lucky to have yeah. access to Jackie. She's she a wonderful, wonderful lady. Um, you know, um, I would like to have her back sometime, but only if she looks into that luxury car tax for me. If she doesn't do <laughs> yes. that, then I'm... If she doesn't do that, there's no point having her back. I won't be... But ha- she's yep. a sensation and great to have her, um, have her here last week. It was absolutely awesome. But uh, looking forward to this week as well. Absolutely. And... Uh did you well, have a good Christmas? I did have a good Christmas. How about Fantastic. you? I did. It was wonderful. Spent it with the family, which was lovely. And oh, I saw ate way too much, but that's okay. Oh, we all do that at Christmas. But I saw a photo of your extended family and friends on uh, yes, you on social, social media. media. So yes. there's like there's thousands of us. Like there's thousands in my family. Every literally. Greek person on the northwest every coast Greek was in person, your photo. Yes, that is correct. Apart from Conzi, but apart from Conzi. every Greek person was there. It was sensational. Ah, oh, fantastic! And speaking of sensational, um, we've got a fantastic guest in today. Yes, we do, and I'm very excited about this guest. So, uh, I reckon, Grant, give him a really. I big reckon you would be. So, let me tell you a little bit about our our guest um, today. So, Luke Richmond. Luke Richmond, born to nomadic parents and humble beginnings, Luke Richmond grew up running wild and free in the Australian outback. After finishing school, he joined the Australian Army and he served his country overseas as an infantry soldier, an experience that sparked in him an unrelenting desire for adventure. But when Luke leaves the Army, he finds himself broke and adrift in London, caught up in the soulless world of drug and alcohol addiction, and it when happens, he wakes up a in brutal, Jackie would have uh, she yeah. should have been here. Yeah. Um, when he wakes up in a police cell with no memory of how he got there, he knows he's hit rock bottom and makes a snap decision to turn his life around. So within days, he's in Thailand training his mind and body at a Muay Thai boxing camp in the jungles of Phuket. 
And in suffering, Luke finds his salvation. And he decides to make the most out of life by seeking adventure in the remote corners of the world. So, An ordinary man doing extraordinary things. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. He has climbed the highest mountains on six continents. He set a new world record for ocean rowing across the Atlantic. He's battled minus 60 degree temperatures in Antarctic. He's yeah. witnessed death at high attitude. I hope, do you think he had an Udi? I uh, would hope he had a hoodie. He no, was held captive not a in Woody, the. Not He was Woody. held captive in the humid jungles of West Papua. He's done base jumping, jumping off cliffs, and just recently pulled a sled a thousand eight hundred kilometres across Mongolia in the desert. How is that even possible? Uh, okay. And we've got him here today with we us. Do. I'm so excited. Hello, Luke. Hello, Luke. Thank you, guys. What an intro. It's oh, great to be here. You're welcome. A man uh, who has done as much as you deserves an intro yeah. like that. And thank you so much. We thank you, not just for joining us, but pa- taking the drive up to uh, to Burnie from uh, your home way, way down in the south. Well, welcome. It's an absolute, pl- absolute pleasure. We, uh, what did we meet, like three weeks ago in Salamanca? Or month yeah, ago? I can actually tell you when it was. It was on the uh, weekend of the 26th, 27th, 28th of November. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, a little while ago. A little while. Short meeting, now we're here. And now you're Burnham. here. And I'm just absolutely, like, I'm listening to all that stuff that Grant said. And I've just gone, wow, my life's boring. <laughs> I actually <laughs> realised that a walk to the shop isn't as thrilling as it, what it possibly could be. Because, Luke, you've done so much stuff. And, you, you know, you've, 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 You've been amazing and you've fought for your country and you've fallen to rock bottom and then you've risen. And that in itself is an incredible story, so I can't wait to hear Yeah, we'll hear that. all about that today. I was down in Hobart and I was walking through Salamanca Market and uh, I... Is this where you first met? I met Luke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so romantic. And, and I haven't heard the story oh, it, Hand in hand. It, <laughs> instant man crush. <laughs> yeah. On, um, on my behalf, I saw this big buff guy and uh, standing there with his books and... Uh, I was instantly over there and I said, good morning, sir. My my name's Grant and we had a chat and I said, uh, look, I'll tell you what, I'll buy both your books if you'd come up and do a podcast with oh, me. And he said, oh, I would him. love to do that. That's awesome. Yeah, for me. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we really do appreciate having you being here with us today. Mate, it's an absolute pleasure. I mean, I'm very lucky in my life at the moment. I get to live my dream adventure life and Part of that life is, is sharing stories through books, through speaking gigs to yep. you know, survive and yep. keep doing what I do. You're a hustler. That's We talked about that earlier on before, G, you come here, but we, we hustle. You talked about hustling. Hustle. So Didn't let's... Um, a in a good way. Yeah, okay. Let's, let's go <laughs> right back to uh, when you first made that decision that you wanted to train your mind and your body in the jungles of Phuket. Mm-hmm. Um, can only imagine what it would have been like. Uh, hot, sticky, training flat out. What what led you to that place? You were down at rock bottom. Yeah, mate. It's a, I guess it's a cliche story. I um, left the military without a very direct sen- like sense of direction, I guess. So I was a bit lost, but I wanted to go and explore. So all I had was my backpack and off I went to Europe and traveling around, working in London. But coming fresh out of the military, especially after operations, I was a bit of an extreme character. So you've, you know, trained yourself to the extreme, you've put yourself on the line in extreme environments. And now I was in this civilian world where I couldn't really take too many things to the extreme, but I could take drinking to the extreme and that led on to, you know, recreational drug use, which then that escalated in an extreme sense. I wanted to be the best at that. And uh, that can only take you one way and that was locked down. So I've actually woken up in jail. Uh, no idea how I'd gotten there. Um, 
I was getting hosed down by the police because I was covered in my own filth. And, um, you know, it was really the, the shame of that moment that, you know, gave me that time to reflect and say, right, it's time to turn this around. This isn't you. This isn't how your parents brought you up. This isn't what the military made you. It's time to, you know, get back on track. But, you know, I was in a bad way. I got released from jail the next day. I went straight back to where I was staying and kept taking drugs. But I did uh, phone a friend of mine that morning and his name was Liam. He was back in Sydney. We had served together. And uh, I said, Liam, I've got to get out of this city. I need to change my life. Um, what should I do? And he said, mate, go to this place in Thailand called Tiger Muay Thai. And Liam was a mixed martial artist, so he'd been over there himself training. And he said, uh, go there, train, and just clean yourself up, you know, and, and see see what comes out of that. So I got off the phone, booked my flights then and there, high as a kite. I uh, finished my drugs in the taxi on the way to Heathrow and flew out as I started to to come down. So I uh, touched down pretty sick in Phuket, had a day just to get over the initial withdrawals and then started doing six hours per day of Muay Thai training. And at that stage, I wasn't really a fighter. I was just getting beat down six hours a day. And and the training, the, the level of training there, full-on combat training for essentially seven days a week, six hours a day. Yeah, absolutely. In those early stages of these big training camps in Asia – they were just fight training. So all that was there was Muay Thai and mixed martial arts. These days it's evolved to CrossFit and strength conditioning and boot camps and all sorts of stuff. But in the, in the beginning it was just hardcore Muay Thai. And Muay Thai is really a lethal martial art. So it's knees and elbows, mm. you know, no protection. It's just protect yourself you know, at all costs. But I was getting beat down by 16-year-old Thai kids. You know, They were ferocious. And it's full on. It's a national sport over there, isn't it? It's like... Oh yeah, go to it's this part of their culture. Yeah, absolutely. But but like the training, the the contact, it's full on contact the whole time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you don't spar all the time. It's a lot of bag work, and they're big on running. So you run a lot in that Thai heat. There's lots of everything you know, push ups, sit ups, squats, all that physical stuff. But then you do your sparring rounds for you know a good hour in the morning, hour in the evening, as part of these three hour blocks, morning and afternoon. So yeah, you get a lot of contact time you stay there at the camp yeah so you have your choice of jungle bungalows that are super super cheap or you can get an air conditioner for for a little bit more so i was down the road with an air conditioner so i didn't die when i was sleeping but yeah it's very basic all i did for two months that i was there was train eat sleep and just go again and again and again until um yeah at the end of that first month i was clean from the chemicals of the drugs but it wasn't until the end of the second month where you know, everything started to come back online. My dreams, aspirations, goals. It's like this this boyhood, this youth come back up mm. inside me and then I was ready to rock, and, rock roll. and roll. It must have been pretty hard though. Yeah. Like coming from straight on the plane and then that happening. Like, you know, like straight away you're off the drugs and that's pretty amazing. Oh, it was brutal. But I think it, it, um, it did suit my personality of the time because I was that extreme character. So then this really extreme form of training um, suited me well. So with, with the drugs, I mean, you said it took, you know, f- the first month for the, the chemicals to get out of your system. What about the addiction? Yeah, I guess there's a few different schools of thought with addiction. I, I'm in the school that it's very much environmentally based. So if I had stayed in the environment I was in in London, I don't think even if I went to rehab and all these other places that I would have gotten clean and got my life back on track – I needed to have a full environmental shift. So that allowed me 
you know, overnight to reinvent myself. So I could wake up that next day and nobody knew me. I was just a guy, you know, an army guy who was there training, didn't tell them I had drinking issues and drug issues and all these hang-ups. I was just a new guy. So you could start to just recreate yourself from step one. I think that's a very, very big part of it. But to get rid of the drugs, I needed to get rid of the drink. So I went off the drink for a couple of years as well and pretty much stayed off it ever since. Um, that's you know, amazing because that would be so hard to give up. Like I've oh never had God. an addiction, but um, I've seen people just, for example, trying to give up smoking and see how hard that is, mm. let alone beating an addiction like that. Yeah. It's pretty massive. So you must, your mindset must have just been incredible. Yeah, and the d- drinking was the hard one. You know, over time, you know, you, you can easily lapse back into that with Australian culture. It's a big drinking culture and – you know, even today when I'm doing sponsorship events or gigs, everyone's drinking and you have to socialise. So you're always fighting those temptations. But I guess I just know where my personality will take that and it can yeah. always lead to... So you would have uh, what's called an addictive personality. For sure, Is, is yeah. that yeah. what... Yeah. Absolutely. And that just morphed into addiction to the fitness. Yep. And that, you know, grew into this addiction to adventure. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so you don't drink at all? These days, no. Very, mm. very, very little. Yeah. Very little. Even over Christmas, the whole period, just not, yeah. not even a beer these this days. This is the first time that we've done this podcast where Grant hasn't had a red wine. Yeah, I know. Well, we've, we uh, haven't had a red wine, I well was just thinking that... Yeah, um, sorry, I'll, I'll put myself in there as well. Yeah, no, it's fine. This is the first you, time. You, I actually needed You have a snippet I and I have a bottle. Voice. That's how it works. But, <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. But, yeah. So, from... You, you finished in, um, in Thailand. Mm-hmm. And did you make your way back to Australia then? Yes, I was very fortunate. My mother at the time was working out in the mining industry. And so I was now this recovered drug addict, alcoholic, but I had this absolute desire to go off and do adventures, but I was broke as. So phoned up mum, she flew me home out to this mining town called Emerald in central Queensland, and I got a start as just a basic miner in the mines. And that's where I was able to work seven days a week, 12 hours a day underground, save up what I call my, my treasure chest adventure fund of money. And once I had enough there, I went online and, and searching for my first big adventure. Fantastic. And what was that first yeah, big adventure? Yes, that. <laughs> well, it, uh, it just started as I wanted to go and do a big mountain. So I thought, I want to go climb a mountain like all these books that I've been reading about my whole life. So I started searching and then I found a list of the biggest mountains on every continent. And when I saw that list, I knew, yep, that's, that's the one for me. I'm going to go and do that. And I wasn't going to take 10 years like I'd read about some climbers doing. I was going to try and do them all the following year. So my <laughs> first big project was to climb what's called the Seven Summits in a 12-month period. Yep. And that's what I set out to do. So I quit my job and flew straight down to South America to climb Mount Aconcagua as my first ever climb as this new mountaineer. And how high are we talking here? So that was just under 7,000 metres high. <laughs> okay, so, so wow. And, and, wow, South America, so that's in Brazil, Argentina? Yep, down on the border with Argentina and Chile. Chile, yep. yep. It's part of the Andes down there. It's the biggest one on the whole continent. And it's a beauty, but it was a great starting peak because I literally just bought every piece of climbing equipment that was on the website that they recommended you have, yep, so I just bought the whole bought list. Yep. And uh, then got onto the team. They were um, a team from Adventure Consultants out of New Zealand. I just bought my way onto that team, and off I went. But it was a good one to learn on because it was technically quite easy, so you weren't using a lot of ropes. There was no crevasse danger. It was just a very, very high mountain, but a good stomp over you know, a three- to four-week period. And a lot of snow up there, I'd imagine. Lots of snow, lots of wind, cold, all those environmental factors, but yep. technically easy. And if you had a good engine and just acclimatised well and followed all the rules, yep. you could you could put yourself in a position to summit. So how long did that take you to get to the summit? That was all in about three and a half weeks to get yep. it done. Excellent. And we had a good run. I mean, 
three days before we summited, there was a huge storm that tore up the mountain and a number of climbers died in that, that storm. Wow. And we're hearing these That's, reports come down. Yeah. We're at our camp three and they're telling us all this stuff. And this is my first ever big adventure and I was yeah. not a climber at all. Oh, wow. So you definitely ask questions of yourself. But then on our summit day, um, we're up to a point called um, Independencia sort of Ridge. It's where the route on summit day is about eight hours up, four hours down. And halfway up, there's this little sort of wooden shack thing where they keep a lot of radios. And it's just a bit of retrans in case of emergencies on the hill. And I was interested in that stuff. I did a lot of signals in the army. So I went and checked it out. And there was a, a dead climber in there wrapped in a silver blanket. Oh, yeah. wow. One, that's, of, the, one of the climbers from a few days before. So. Was that a bit traumatic for you? I mean, that's a. <sighs> well, we, that would know, have been very gut wrenching. Like it, I'd seen dead bodies before in yeah. the military, but they're bad yeah. guys. You have no connection with yep. bad guys. But this guy, he was a mountaineer and yeah. he was most likely a lot more qualified to be there than I was. So you definitely second guess yourself. Wow. Um, we were lucky we had no wind that day. We had perfect conditions, so you could easily talk yourself into carrying on, and we were lucky to summit and get back down safely. Wow. So yeah. following South America? So from South America, I took off to Mount McKinley, or Denali up in Alaska. So that's going to be the biggest oh, one. Oh, Alaska would be in, amazing. Oh, I've only ever seen you know, in the movies and pictures, and it's always somewhere that's fascinated me. Incredible. It's like the home of adventure. Like I know yeah. if you guys really? read Jack London or a lot yes, of these top yep. White Fang, all these books yes. you read as a boy. Unbelievable. I know Jack London the shirt, the oh, fashion the shirt. brand. Very similar. <laughs> yeah. Very similar. Mm. Except this one's got, you know, lots of bears and adventure wow. and stuff. But uh, yeah, I'd read a lot about Alaska. So I was very excited to get up there. And this mountain was almost like a step along the education to become a mountaineer because now we were dragging sleds. We were in an environment that was minus 20 to 30 most oh. days. Yeah, that's insane. You know, you're crossing <laughs> crevasses. You're doing all this stuff that, you know, was the next step up. And that was good for me to learn. Explain a crevasse to me. Yeah, so crevasses. So when you're um, heading into the mountains, typically you might cross glaciers, which yeah. are just frozen rivers coming down from the tops of the mountains all the way down to the valleys that turn into water and, and carry on. When they're in that frozen state... They're always moving. And when they're moving over big slopes heading down valley, they fracture and create these you know, enormous cracks in the ice. But some of these can be you know, 10 metres deep or some can be hundreds of metres deep down this black abyss. And you have to cross a lot of those. Um, what you tend to see after big you know, snow seasons is those big cracks are covered with snow. So you've got, say, a half a foot to a foot or a metre of snow on covering up these crevasses. So when we were actually descending Denali, we were coming down through this very sketchy area across the glacier late in the afternoon, which is not when you want to be there because that veneer of snow is now like a slushy and you're starting to break through. So your leg will just disappear mm. below the snow and you're sticking out into a crevasse. So that's wow. some pretty gnarly stuff. And uh, that was the first time I rescued a climber, a guy from uh, another rope team ahead of us. He fell straight through into the crevasse. Um, Ooh, got held be, up oh, by his other mates. That's scary because you, there'd be no coming back. If you, yeah, you're if all you're roped together, that. aren't you? Yeah, and that's yeah. why he was okay because yeah. you have four of you on the rope team. Um, he went in, he was up the back, but the other three hit the deck so he didn't fall all the way right, in okay. and didn't drag okay. them in. Goodness. And then we could set up a system to pull him out. Well, I wow. get stressed just going out in the morning and to feed my horses. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hearing <laughs> you. Know, you think, oh, should I go out there in thongs if I fall down? But um, that's just a, it's a whole other level, isn't Ooh, it? It's it mountain is, number two. 
And that was number two, yeah, so we were successful in that one. It was uh, minus 50 on the summit, so it was my first minus ever super, 50. super cold environment. Yeah. And I complained about Tasmanian weather. It was brutal. Minus 50 is yeah. bru- absolutely brutal, isn't yeah. it? How, how many layers do you wear for a minus 50? When it's in those sorts of environments, nearly all of them. You've got uh, your cotton layer, you've got a fleece layer over the top, you might have a Gore-Tex jacket breaking then, and then you might have your down jacket over the top if yeah. you're stationary. Um, that was that temperature was right on the summit in really high winds. That's why it was so cold. Typically, it's not that cold on Denali okay. in the summer. Um, it wasn't until we got down. Oh, that's their summer. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so. What is it in winter? <laughs> oh, brutal! It's like that all year round. Just oh, okay. ferocious. Alaska. Wow. Wow. It's one but part. I remember watching Into the Wild. I don't know if you remember oh, that movie. Great. Chris. Um, yeah. Chris. McCandless. Um And I always that's the first time I'd ever really seen a movie that featured Alaska, and I thought. What an, what an amazing place. Yep. You so have to see it. It's, yeah, it's one of the last Incredible. true wilderness sites. A, yeah. uh, a lot of our clients go and do the cruise oh, around Alaska. Alaska. Forwards, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and rave about it. It's not something that I've got on my bucket list, but, you know, <laughs> what I may have to add there, it. Once the COVID's all done. But yeah. it, um, it probably would be worth doing because I think Alaska would be the best way to see it without – being in 50 degree, minus 50 You can 50 fly degree. out there. Fly out there, land yeah. on a glacier, take a few photos, have a wine and come on back. See, uh, that's my type of travel. Uh, <laughs> now we can be friends. I think I'd rather – I'll cruise around the Hudson River in yeah. New York. Um, I like the sound of that a lot better. Yeah. So you left Alaska and the remaining peaks were – So I knocked off uh, Kilimanjaro. Took, yes. Took my dad along for that one. That's that was a beautiful little you peak. You took your dad. He went up there with you. Yeah, yeah. He was that's up there for his, for his birthday. That was his 55th birthday. 55th birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's fantastic. Because that's one I'd like to, to look. Yeah. That's a good one because you make yeah. a bit of a holiday out of that one. You yeah. go there, you do a safari, okay. you'll go climb the mountain. It's very accessible to most people. It's just one real hard day at the end okay. um, that, that's a bit spicy, but the rest is just beautiful. And then you can you know, do some stuff in Africa while you're there yeah. before you come home. Uh, glaciers in... Nothing. Not, n- no, nothing, nothing like that anymore. It's a big volcano, so yeah. it's just all scree and rock. You get to the crater okay. rim, there's a tiny bit of glacier left up there, yeah. um, but it's... Very, very minimal these days. It'll be yeah. gone very soon. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. From there, it was down to Antarctica to climb Vincent Massive. This is the one I've been yeah. interested to hear about. Yep. What was that like? Because, I mean, Antarctica fascinates me as well. What was it like, you know, down there? What was the temperature, I guess, to start with? Yeah, it was similar to Alaska. It was minus 20s, 30s most days. Um, and very, very cold, you know, during the evenings. But you don't get a lot of dark down there in summer. It's just sort of okay. a tiny bit of twilight and then the sun's up again. It's... Probably one of my favourite places in the world. Still untouched or, you know, not ruined by humans. It's truly incredible. You can um, catch these sort of planes down and land on a blue ice runway down there. And we used a company called ALE and they have a big, um, like a, almost like a scientific research station set up there okay. through the summer. You can land in there and then they've got little fixed wing aircraft that can fly you out on any adventure you want to get into. It's a bit of a price tag to get there, but once you're there, you can do some really cool stuff. So we landed out near the mountains, and really these mountains, they're not um, what you'd think of as we're seeing a mountain from the ground up. You're seeing these mountains from the tops sticking out of the ice shelf. So there could be three, 4,000 feet of ice below, and you're just climbing this little rock outcrop sticking up the top, and that's usually a couple of thousand or whatever metres. So not a huge climbing challenge, but the environmental Risk is always there, so you're dragging sleds again, super cold. Um, on our summer day, we had two cracks at it because the wind was up so much, it was just too, too cold. It gets to that point where if you make any little mistakes in that type of environment, it has big consequences. 
So if you say your goggles come apart from your balaclava too much, you'll lose that bit of skin. Or if you lose your, your mitt, you're going to lose your hand, like stuff like that. You actually will lose it. Yeah, well. yeah. Well, you, your risk of losing it when you forget frostbite and frost nip and all that stuff. Oh. One of our guys went snow blind because he just, you know, chewing on a muesli bar for too long at a break without his goggles on and just that glare off the snow. Snow um, blind? Does yeah. that mean, what is that like? Permanent? No, no, it's, it's like getting uh, like a welder flash if you're a welder right, or sand in your okay. eyes for, for the rest of the day and you can't see it all the next day. So he, wow. he lost his sight for the day. Yeah, we ended up short roping him That's up to the summit scary. just to get him there so he could tick it off, but yeah, he couldn't see. He ticked it off and couldn't enjoy the view. No, he was told you, you're here, mate, back down. Oh, that's cruel. <laughs> but it does come back. It does come back online, yeah. Yeah. But it was so windy, even when we got to the summit, I took my last step onto the summit, lifted my axe in the air, pulled it back down, turned around and walked down. It was just it was so that. windy, so dangerous, we had to get right. back to high camp. Wow. wow. You couldn't yeah. even see it. That's quite heartbreaking, really. Yeah, yeah. Although he made it, which was incredible. He got there, yeah. yeah. And he was a, a Thai guy. We've stayed friends to this day, and that was his um, seventh summit. So he was finishing his seven wow, summits. Okay. So he's done seven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and that's what I was going to try and do as well. Gee, I'm worn out already. Yeah, like, so you, <laughs> we, we've talked about four, and then there's two to go because you haven't hit seven yet. No, so straight after that, I went to a totally different environment in West Papua. Yeah. And that was to climb Karsten's Pyramid. So that's uh, almost like a big rock climb. It's a 13-hour rock climb from start to finish. This is incredible peak coming out of the jungle. But to get there was a seven-day approach through the jungle, which was, you know, even after the military days, was some of the toughest jungle I'd ever been through. And you have to employ some local porters. So we had about 19 porters who were you know, still wearing wooden penis tubes and had bows and arrows along with them, so still quite developing over there. Goodness, Goodness they, me. They tend to bring what along... What is that? <laughs> a penis tube? Yes. <laughs> I, just, I, uh, I think I know what you mean, but um, yeah. Uh, it was wooden. It's wooden. So yeah, it's wooden? A, there's different sizes. You see how it's I picked up that out of your conversation? <laughs> like, what's wrong with me? Just picture a, a <laughs> narrower, shorter didgeridoo that they strap to themselves, oh, okay. but they do slip their tackle into the, the yep. end of it. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure the cultural significance. Yeah, no. Okay. Something to do with prowess, maybe? Maybe know. they do a dance with it. Possibly. I know. I don't. Possibly? Just, I'm going to Google that. I don't even <laughs> want to think about it. You, okay, Google it right. you Google it offline. I don't want to think about yeah. that. Um, <laughs> but they were great. You know, they were a yeah. hell of a resource to get through that jungle. That's amazing. Um, and they brought along their family, friends, and anyone yeah. that wasn't doing much from the village. So we had about 42 of them along with us. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and they were really great. And they got us to the mountain and we did our climb. It was a pretty awesome climb. It's not a very hot, hard grade. Um, if you're a rock climber, it's like maybe a 6A sort of grade. But... Uh, there's a point there where we had to set up a Tyrolean traverse, which is a point between two edges of a ridge with a few thousand feet of air below you where you set up a line and you pull yourself along and underneath like Indiana Jones. You know, yes, like yes, Indiana Jones. Yeah, yep, just yeah like that's, that. again. That, that was awesome. That would have been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you pull yourself along that, get to the other side, and then the summit was just there. And Wow. I just can't believe that you came from that police cell in London to climbing these mountains and doing these incredible things, how you turned mm. your life around. Yeah. And you made that decision yourself. Yeah, yeah. No one else made that decision for you. And even at this point in, in my journey, I wasn't talking about that past yet, you know. I hadn't yep. yeah. put those demons to bed, so I was still just, just running on the adrenaline and adrenaline. moving forward. Adrenaline's an amazing thing, isn't it? Mm. Um, and then so number six. From that, yeah, I went to Russia, uh, um, ah. southwest Russia to climb Mount Elbrus. Now, this one um, taught me a very valuable lesson. I... I thought at this stage I had this climbing ego. So, I, yeah, I've got the skills now. I'm smashing this. I'm going to go and crush this non-technical easy peak. 
and I hired one guy, one climber to come with me, a little Russian fella named Valentin. And I gave myself a seven-day window because it was an easy mountain. I was acclimatized. Let's just go hit it. And we went for it, moving nice and fast. We skipped one of the camps because we're both quite strong at climbing. So we skipped one of the camps and just moved up. Uh, Mother Nature said not today and shut us down on our first big summit attempt. So we got within a few um, hours of the summit so I could see it. But uh, we ended up turning back and heading back down. And I made a bit of a mistake at this stage, giving myself only that seven-day window um, on my visa there. So I had limited days and I had to be out of the country. But we went up again, pushed hard, got to within, you know, an and a half of the top and Mother Nature shut us down real wow. bad again. Okay. So we were, you know, sheltered behind a big rock. It was just howling wind, whiteout conditions. And I'm sitting there with Valentin and I had an inkling of what he was thinking, but I said, mate, you know, what do you reckon? And he turned to me and he said, it's better to come to the mountains 10 times and go home than to come once and never go home. Oh, wow. That's the, the valuable lesson he told me. Yeah. So we... We turned around and that was my first big failure in yeah. mountaineering yep. had to get out of Russia. So I haven't been back to finish it off yet. That's so okay. you will go back and finish it off? 100%, yeah. So what's, yeah, the, one, on what's the one peak that's left? Big Everest. Big mm. Everest. So I big had... Big Everest. That's like every person's dream or not dream, but... I don't know. It's, it's like a fascination. It's the it? pinnacle. It's it the pinnacle. is, you know. And even Everest. even with the media hype about commercialisation and all the rest of it, it's still such a, you know, pinnacle of, of achievement in mountaineering. It's something I do want to tick off. Um, I had it lined up for that year, but um, as I was discussing with you, Grant, offline, you know, I had a sponsor that pulled out last minute, so Gosh. I didn't get to go and finish it that year. And at the end of that year, I thought my whole year was, was a failure because I'd set myself this target to hit the seven. Um, got to the end of the year and I've only done five, failed on six and then couldn't finish. But in hindsight, I just learned so much throughout that whole year about not just myself, about mountaineering, about the environment, the mother, about mother nature, you know, all this stuff. Um, and, you know, the biggest lesson I took away from that whole year was actually about, about death, you know, seeing those climbers up there on that first peak mm. and then witnessing death on Denali again Um yeah, regardless of what I saw in the military, that put death right in front of my face. It made it real for me. And, you know, from that point on, I started my started living my life a totally different way. I've, I convinced myself that I am going to die and I'm going to die in five five years. That's that's the limit I put on myself. And so every year I'll sit down and I'll write, well, what do you want to achieve now until your death, until that five-year time? And whatever I write down, that's where I then go out and splice into my life the following year and the year after until whatever happens. And I guess it, it sounds a little bit morbid when you, no, when you talk about that. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Um, I think I understand where you're coming from. But just quickly then, because um, I want you to continue about this. Yep. Um, you've lived more than five years or haven't we? We haven't hit that end date yet, have we? You've got no. It no. keeps cycling over. Keep cycling I've, over. I've been very fortunate. I've had a lot of close calls. But the, what that question does for me every year is just keep me on track. So if I ask that question, I say, "Well, ten years or fifteen year plan," well, I'll get I'll get a bit distracted. I'll start thinking careers and I'll start thinking you know all different things. Mm. Or if I say a year, well, I'm just talking about luxuries. I'm going back to the drugs and party. I'm going to rip in my last year. Whatever yep. it is, you know, you get a bit sidetracked that way but five seems to be that that perfect time frame it's like five years okay what do you really want to do you've got time enough to do some really big big things you know what are they and whatever yeah. comes out that's what we'll go and do and you write that down and revisit that every year yeah yeah tick it off or whatever's happened just go again it's a great habit it is and, and i love goal setting yeah that really 
rings true to me. Well, and it does for me yeah. too because of my industry, you know, yeah. and it's something that 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 uh, not a lot of us do enough of. For sure. You know, sure. set a goal, uh, work towards it, um, yep. celebrate small successes. Mm. Absolutely. Small it just steps. splices a bit of, um, you know, a bit of stuff into your life that you really want to do. You know, those yes. things you've buried deep for whatever reason, whether yeah. it's family or career, that comes up and you're like, oh, you tell you what, maybe I can do some of that now. Yes, absolutely. That, that, that's I really admire your mindset on that and, and what you do. And I just had a thought then that, you know, you could have easily slipped when you had you, – you didn't get your seven peaks, you only got five and nine-tenths. Yep. You know, you could have <laughs> looked at that as a failure and really, really slipped back into – because I could only imagine you, you've done this you didn't quite get to do what you wanted to do, you, you could have been at that point where you would have been, you know, looked in the mirror and questioned yourself, you know. Well, For sure. Can I go on or I failed, um, what's next? But you took the positive road and you started mm. writing down your goals and boy, oh boy, you've done a hell of a lot on. since then. <laughs> Gosh, I know. Yeah, that was just the beginning. I mean, I did – after that I did – try to be a pretend businessman for a couple of years and figured that that wasn't for me. A pretend businessman. Yeah, yeah. In, uh, in Sydney, got sidetracked into the gym business, which was great. Yep. Learned some valuable lessons and had a successful business there before we sold it on. But That was the CrossFit gyms? Yeah, it was like a hybrid, bit of a CrossFit commercial gym yep. type setting in Dremoyne in, uh, in Sydney. Um, yeah, got to a great position, break even plus, and just yep. feeling really good about it. But the, the lifestyle wasn't the guy I was meant to be. You know, the seven-day operator yep. wasn't. Wasn't me. Routine. Yeah. And I'm walking into the gym every morning at 5 a.m. to run the classes and seeing all these pictures on the wall of me standing on mountains. Yeah. It's like, nah, this this isn't for me. So sold out to my partner and, and hit Fantastic. the road again. Good Just on went you. full bore at what I yep. really wanted. So the next adventure, because you did some rowing. Mm. Is that was what came next? That was the next one, yeah. yeah. That came uh, that came out of the blue, that one. So I went <laughs> Back had, to Thailand. Had you rowed before? Sorry? No, no, no never. okay. Well, I'd done a ski, like a rowing erg, a concept two, okay, and, and CrossFit yep. for sure, but never done yes. any actual rowing. And I was back in Thailand just training because that was, you know, my happy place. I had my you know, girlfriend, now wife, along with me at that stage. And uh, we we're just there coaching in Thailand. So now the place has evolved from just Muay Thai camps to big CrossFit camps. And so you went back and, to that place and actually coached there. Yeah, yeah. You went Isn't there. That you went there to get well. Yeah. You, you copped the flogging mm-hmm. uh, from some 16-year-olds. Yeah. I feel a bit of thought, eat, pray, love sort of, you know, without yeah, the food. Yeah, you're on yeah. The, the other side That's of the fence now. <laughs> you're back there feels. coaching and, and taking people through your journey. Yeah, and it was amazing because, you know, Thailand's renowned for a lot of things, but one of them is climbing as well, rock climbing. Yeah. So mm. while we were there coaching every day, we were out climbing most weekends and just refining that craft, thinking I was going to go on and do more mountaineering or go and finish the seven. But I get a call out of the blue from this mate of mine who was in – Portugal at the time in a pub where he'd met these Brits who were planning this big ocean row from Portugal to Brazil and one of the teammates one of the guys got appendicitis so he was pulling out so they were in the pub drowning their sorrows they were going to pack up and go home and they met my mate and my mate said hold on I, I know a guy who's in an adventure this is, is going to happen in a pub isn't it right? like, of course it's just no like the way. classic that's awesome Are you, is this even real Are you right? yeah no, 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 no. This, is, this is full <laughs> full legit and uh, oh so God. I get a message from them and I do a Skype call with them that night and they ask, can you come and join us for this ocean row 
across the Atlantic. We're leaving in two weeks. Across the Atlantic. And you've rode on the CrossFit machine, on the rowing. The, well, know, after the gym, they said that we have to do two-hour shifts, so two hours of rowing, two hours of rest, 24 hours a day. Okay. I, I went, oh, geez, I better, after saying yes, I thought I'd better go and try out this two-hour shift thing. So the next day I went into the gym. Sat there for an hour and a half. So yeah, this is all right. I got this, and uh, but that's on Notion, is it? Like, oh, <laughs> Notion's a different totally different thing. Game. Yeah, you can row an ergo. I mean, and they hurt too. Concept two ergos are one of the, I think, are one of the hardest pieces of exercise equipment because um, <laughs> the fitter you get, it doesn't get any easier because yep. you just pull harder. That's insane. Um, yeah, but then you get into a a boat. Different. Now with the the concept, the ergo, there's no Rocking and rolling, and no swell waves, it's no it's not wind. Skull. Yeah, uh, oh, it's yeah. All okay. of a sudden, you've you got oars, and um, yeah, if you've never rowed before, never so rowed before. Tell me, just just yeah, tell us that story because that's so, insane. So I said yes straight away. Then I went back into the the tight bungalow we were living in and and asked Elise if I could go. And uh, you already said yes. Yeah, 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 I did. <laughs> That's what I, I do. I love how you asked her afterwards. I've already said yes, but can I go? Fortunately, she, uh, she said yes. Men do that. Men do this. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> so I quit the job the next day. Um, booked a ticket to London. Flew to London down to Lagos, and uh, within ten days took my first shift in this sport of ocean rowing that I'd never seen before. Wow. With men that you'd never met before? Well, two girls and two guys. Two so guys, I was yep. one of the guys wow. and they were, they were, wow. these guys were all rowers, so they actually yep, knew okay. what the hell they were doing. They had all the technique and I was just this, you know, engine, engine for hire, I guess, so okay. to speak, yep. to come along. Yep. But you would have uh, picked it up pretty quickly, um, got used to the feel of it in your hands. For sure. I mean, the biggest adaption with ocean rowing, as you know, is the environment. Mm. Getting used to like, violent seasickness that first three, four days, the sleep deprivation because you're doing you know, two hour shifts, mm. so you're doing six, two hour shifts a day. So, the how, most, do you, how do you actually sleep? Well, the most sleep you got was three 90 minute blocks of sleep at a night time. That was all. Yeah. So, you're getting used to that, as well as dehydrated meals, you know, making yeah. water, doing all these things you had to do to keep yourselves going. So, how long did it take? So, that was 55 days to oh. go from oh Europe my to gosh. South America. What? So, there was no rest. No, if we wanted this world record, it had to be in one push. We couldn't stop. We couldn't take resupply. We had to have everything self-sustaining. And, uh, yeah, we got there. And you got the record. Yeah, we got it. It's on the wall oh at home. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> is this in the Guinness World Book of Records? It is. I think it's right. in the 2017 well. one. That's awesome. Yeah, 2016. It made the next book. How is that even a thing? I just don't even understand how you'd sleep. You're on a boat Oh, thing. it's brutal. It's That's just brutal. Just the whole thing. I lost 15 kilos on that road. Wow. Yeah. Well, you would have. How do you come yeah. back and be well mentally? Like your mental health must go down. I mean, there's oh, mate, got you got to come up with some way to motivate yourself out there. How day. did I mean, you? Like, I really? had little I mean, quotes on the little cab because the cab's tiny. You have a tiny cab mm. at one end and a tiny cab at the other. Okay. Um, so Jake and I, the other guy, we'd share one. So when the other guy's on shift, you have enough room to lie down, but you're touching all the walls. Yeah. Okay. When there's a storm, you're both in there, so it's a tiny little. Cab, but on that mm. roof, I've got quotes. I've got a picture of a leash. You try and keep your yourself motivated. Motivated, but, yeah. But even yeah. then, you know, there's some really dark times, and I, well, I had to come up with a, a mantra that I actually put up on the roof, and this mantra served me well to this day. It was, "Be grateful. You deserve this. Thank you for allowing me to suffer." Oh wow! So because that suffering just got so much, like so much suffering. I, I was going to pull the pin. We were all just hurting so much. But then I sort of flipped it on its head. I started to realise, yeah, what a bloody privilege just to be out here, Mm. you know, to have the physical ability to even try. Yes. I mean, 
there could be millions of people that would trade their lives for hours in a second to be out here, you know, doing this stuff. And so I started to be grateful for it and the harder it got, the more grateful I would be. And it sort of had the intensity of the suffering turned down, if that makes sense. So yeah, it wasn't it does, breaking yeah. level anymore. It was just good old misery and, you know, what a privilege to be out there suffering. Unreal. And you broke Unreal. the record. That is the most amazing story. It was good. Do you, yeah. do you have a support boat with you? No, you can't have any of that. Can't have any oh of that. Oh, my God. See, the ocean petrifies me just because of the shark situation. Oh, me too. Oh, really? It's the most scared I've ever been, yeah. And I've, you know, wow, because I can't zones. even go on the Spirit of Tasmania. Oh, it's ruthless. But I can go on a, on a cruise around the Greek islands, no problem. Yeah. But when you're talking the Bass Strait and just those waves and it sucks Mother the Nature, ocean, you know, yeah, ma- scares me. Mother Nature's pretty cruel. Yeah, and these storms, the longest one we had was like 11 hours where the big swells are coming in, you can't row, so we lash everything down, we put out a parachute anchor which connects you onto the current to stop yeah. you flipped oh, end over end. Um, you get into the cabs, you seal them up, they're airtight and watertight. But the boat's designed to be rolled, pushed under. It yeah. pops up and rights itself. But uh, yeah, that's terrifying. And it, and it, and it, you did roll quite a few times. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yep, never end over end because that would finish off the boat. But it just yep. sort of swings just around. Swings around. So you had no one there as a safety crew. You had no one there. What happened if something had happened? Was there yeah. any safety? Put your reverb on and wait. Yeah, if you're close to the coast, you had okay. a good you know chance okay. of getting picked up by a container. Once you were out okay. crossing the equator. Out in the doldrums, if you pop smoke out there, I mean, you're waiting a long time because mm. there's nothing out there. Mm. Yeah, there's no trade routes, wow. no one sails out there. Do you How get, scary. Keep in contact with the people you rogue with? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And have they gone on any more mad adventures or is that? They haven't. And I don't know why. Maybe <laughs> it's not going to be a mass participation sport this ocean. <laughs> no. it's, not, it's not fun. They can um, come over and do the best straight, maybe. Although that's pretty rough. That's water a different anyway. stretch of yeah. water. That's yeah, a yeah you, you, you wouldn't. You wouldn't um, do that, would you? Uh, look, you, you could quite easily roll across Bass Strait. I know mm. a bunch of gentlemen that are going are planning to roll a surfboat across Bass Strait from up in um, Sydney, New South Wales. Nice. Um, so you could do it. You could do it in a couple of days um, in shifts, I'm sure. But mm. maybe not. Maybe a bit more than a couple Almost of days. Like I think that more, or probably four or five. Watching a Christmas movie on Netflix. Four or, fo- four or five days, <laughs> and you do it. You'd come down through the Flinders Island yeah. group and, and and Island Hop. At least you got wow. some bailout. Yeah, you do. So you could you could do it, but it get very very rough out there. I was thinking too, what, um, like amenities. Mm-hmm. Amenities when, it, when you're yes. in that that boat. Oh yeah, so uh, you have to go to the. That's like the first ocean, question you get at all the high schools. Yeah, I mean, you're yeah, giving yeah. talks. <laughs> you jump overboard, um, or Maybe it's just a plastic bucket. So yeah, you're, yep. you're always two people rowing, so you get yep. used to uh, you know a bit of salt water in the bottom of the bucket, yep. sitting within a foot of your mate as you do your yep. business, you yep. know, and then tipping yep. it over the side. And that's the that's side. as rough as it gets. Wow. Yeah. Actually, in the first, I think it was like day five. Still trying to get used to this whole bucket thing. We had a pretty rough day on. I was just about to start shift. Had done. My business in the bucket, big wave hit a side on <gasps> myself, the bucket, everything Excellent. ends up on the deck. So there I was, uh, handballing over the side Excellent. right before I start my day. So that was yeah. welcome, oh. welcome to Ocean Rowing. Wow, that's great. Wow. Um, you did another we'll ocean. from Jackie Lambie to uh, toilets. Yeah, 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 no. She'd love this though because she would understand exactly. Oh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I know she hasn't done those sorts of things, but she's done uh, some incredible things to get back up. Absolutely, but she tried another ocean row. Yeah, that yeah, that took us into the bit of the Bass Strait, actually. Yeah. Um, a guy named Grant Rawlinson, a good friend of mine, another full-time adventurer. He um, was doing an expedition where he lives in Singapore, but he's from New Zealand. So he'd rowed an ocean rowing boat from Singapore to Darwin. 
He'd ridden his push bike across Australia and he was going to do the Ocean Row to New Zealand to his home. He'd tried twice and got shut down by the Tasman and uh, I was going to be with him on his third attempt. So we set off from Eden. We got absolutely punished in the Bass Strait about 200 clicks offshore yeah. of sort of Tassie's northeast corner. Um, I was rowing on deck when we got capsized. I was tangled up you know, in a lot of gear. So it was pretty harrowing moment at that stage but we ended up fixing the boat fixing what was broken and uh calling quits on that one end up back home 10 days later that was just the two of you just the two of us same sort of boat just the two of us a little bit different a little bit different it's your turn to sing this one. Oh yeah it is i can't <laughs> sing though so sometimes grant breaks into song but i can't, I can't I, actually I'm, sing but i'm not going to break into song today because i'm just so i'm actually quite dumbfounded by yeah. all this you've, you've done the most incredible things that's from, good fun. from where you would I guess you were and that's I guess what I kept going back to mm. the fact that you're in that spot and then now you've done this you've written a couple of books obviously um, and you just yeah wow it's incredible to listen to it's and going really well empowering. So yeah, yeah. the Gobi Desert in Mongolia that was your other real big one wasn't it yeah so, so there's lots of different types of adventures we do a lot of micro adventures all the time and these yeah. big ones pop up every couple of years what's, what's an example of a micro adventure uh, base jumping, rock climbing, kayaking. Kayaking, um, I, like, I like that. Yeah, little micro stuff, yep. Yeah. Just doing even some of the big hikes here in Tassie, you know, South yeah. Coast track, a few of the more gnarly yeah. hikes, yeah. they're great fun. So you take people on, on those micro adventures? Do just you, friends, family. Just friends, yeah, family. Is this your, are you a full-time adventure? Is that what you call, like, what, what is, is I, what I you guess do sort now? of, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I make my living from books and speaking, but I, I'm able to share those stories because of the adventures, so... Mm. I guess I am a full-time adventurer. So tell me yeah. about your speaking program. Then. I like that. I want a business yeah. card with that on it. Yeah, you can do it. Full-time yeah. adventurer. <laughs> no. <laughs> full-time <laughs> island hopper? Yes. Yeah, maybe. Yep. Um, absolutely. <laughs> full-time child. Not, not yes. a real adult. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah I, I, I noticed you posted a picture of Santorini on your social I media I did. Today. I'm getting really homesick for the Greek islands. Yeah. So is that I've home been, for you? It's, Cyprus is home for me, yep. but um, the Greek islands, I always go there first before I go to Cyprus, and I'm... I'm really, really missing it of late. And I think it's just because the weather's so cold in Tassie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've been looking up the weather in Santorini. It's about the same at the moment. Yeah. But um, it's my second Santorini's time nice. Santorini's nice. Yeah. And I really miss it because I yeah. couldn't go this year and yep. probably next year either. So I like to go every year. Yep. So it's um, I'm getting a little bit sad about it. But uh, hearing about your stuff has, has yeah. lifted me back up lift, today. Lift back up. <laughs> hang in there. <laughs> get you on an adventure, huh? I need to go on an adventure in Tassie. Well... Yeah, so what would you suggest to someone in Tasmania if they were, say, moderate fitness and they wanted to challenge themselves? Oh, look, there's so much hiking down here. It's so accessible. You need a little backpack, a pair of shoes, and off you can go. And you can start with three- to four-hour return hikes on some of the Three Capes stuff. See, I love Um, just walking. I mean, I'm not very fit, but walking around Dove Lake's a beautiful walk. Yeah, for sure. So just get in the car an hour's time and you're at Dove Lake and... Yeah, yeah, we're an hour to Cradle Mountain. I know, and it's it's so beautiful. It's amazing, yeah. Frenchman's Cap, if you want to do a little two-day thing. Mm. I'd love to do that one. Down the south coast, that's a gnarly trail down there. That's beautiful. That's 96 Ks. Mountain biking, have you got into that? I haven't. My wife and I, as soon as COVID hit, we bought... Um, touring bikes, so these, yeah, good. Um, yep. you know, heavy duty touring mountain bikes, and we yep. rode from Darwin down Adelaide just for a bit of fun. So that was our first just ever for a cycle. Bit of fun. Me, <laughs> fun is like going on the boardwalk on my bike. No one tells you how <laughs> sore your Darwin butt gets. Hey? Yeah, your butt does get sore. I'm there in the shop buying these bikes. Darwin to Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. That's a long. 
Wait, it was good. It was like 36 days. It was good. Yeah, it would have been amazing. Wow, you guys are amazing. What a power couple. It was good, but yeah. no one told us that, you know, you, your butt's going to cop a hammering. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're in the shop buying oh. these bikes and asking a million questions, and no one said, oh, mate, what's your seat like? Or you're wearing tights. Like, yeah. no one told me this stuff. No. So, yeah, that that was, it, was it hurts. Mm, that first week yeah. was brutal. Wow. wow. <laughs> and the Gobi Desert that you, you did, I mean, going through Mongolia, and, and um, because that's a country that I really want to to Have visit. I've yep. got this sort of um, fantasy of following the old Silk Road, and I think that goes yeah, through yep. through there. I've been to China. I love China. Yep. Um, where I've been, I'd, I'd love to go to Mongolia and its history. And it's a beautiful part of the world. I would only imagine, and the people there were very welcoming, and they, they were great. I mean, we flew into Ulaanbaatar, and our goal was to try and get across the entire section of Gobi Desert, which stretches into China, Mongolia, you know, covers a big old spans. Um, but in Mongolia, it was going to be a lot safer for us. So we decided, okay, we'll go to the Gobi Desert in Mongolia. How are we going to survive? Well, we had to build a couple of carts. And I actually roped in the same mate that got me the gig on the ocean rowing. I got him along for this adventure. So I was okay. my oh, wife awesome. and him. So it was Payback. three of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was great. Um, so we built three carts. The three of us set off, but we needed some local support to get yeah. out into the desert. And the biggest risk in that part of the world, because the Gobi's a, a really beautiful desert, but it gets to minus 50 in winter and plus 50 in summer. So it's, it's this huge... Plus 50, that's what I like. Oh, so Not hot. the minus 50. Yeah, no, plus 50 novelty, maybe for an hour or two. Yeah, oh. brutal. But it not is brutal, day but after day. Not day after day, but yeah. on holiday it's nice. And it's And it's... Sandy desert or is it grass plain? There is big, big sections of huge sand dunes, but then there's more that's just like the steppe. It's just yeah. grass plain, rocky, sort of hard baked earth. Um, but water was the, the biggest risk. Yeah. So we had about 88 kilos of dehydrated meals each, but we can only carry about 100 litres of water each, which mm. is, you know, might get you three, four days in those type of temperatures. But we're trying to hit it just at the end of winter. We started when it was about minus seven. And we ended up getting out when it was just breaking, not 39, sort of getting into the 40s. But that meant there was a lot of wind in that period as well. So you had big dust storms. So you got all these different things going on. And to find the water, we had to find the nomad families that live out there. So the rule of thumb was, with well, everyone we'd spoken to, was if you find one family, there'll be one well. And the families are spread out every one to 200 kilometres. So we used our support team to travel ahead in the desert to find the families, find where the water was, send us the coordinates and we'd you know, head, head straight to them. So they were on motorbikes? Or Just these little 4 by 4 van, van cruising yep. around. And they were awesome. And, yeah, you would never have actually found these wells because some of the wells were literally a dinner plate hole in the sand with a rock on top. Wow. On. You'd never find it. Wow. But the nomad people were absolutely incredible. Oh. So nice, so happy. Yeah, living quite primitive, they just have their yurt, you know, the white sort of canvas tent that you yep. picture as a girl. Um, bunch of goats, a few camels, horses, yeah, a bunch of kids running around and that's it. They feed you? Yeah, all the time. Whatever yeah. they had, they'd give us a goat's milk biscuit or some, what they call it, it's called a rule. It's like a, like a yogurty, sour camel milk type thing. Yeah. Yummy. Um, particular. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. The others didn't. Yeah. Uh, get you curdling a bit. But uh, one one of them slaughtered a whole goat and cooked it up on the side of the trail for us, and it was the best thing you've ever eaten when you wow. you know dropping a heap of weight and starving for fat. Yeah, so you would have been walking. I'm just trying to do the numbers: fifty-seven into eighteen hundred and five. Um, about 
well, what are you doing, about 50k a day, 40k a day? Oh, in the beginning, our carts were, you know, Elisa's was 160 kilos, mine was 180, and so was Maddie's. So we were doing 20k So you took your partner on this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, first, big, first big trip. Wow. Wow. So she came she made it, obviously. Yeah, She's obviously yeah. quite she, fit. She, she was a machine. Yeah. Um, but in the beginning, we are only doing your first day. I think we got seven kilometres before we pulled stumps and, and camped up. Next day we'd get 12, next day 15, and by the end we're doing 40K days. But yeah. it took a long time wow. to, to, to get our fitness up and drag wow. through some you of You guys must days. be, I was just thinking about this, which is probably totally irrelevant, but you must be able to pack a suitcase really well. Oh, yeah, we're minimalist Like now. minimalist, aren't you? Because like, <laughs> you've got to think of all the food I guess you have to take when you're going on these hikes and things mm. and you've got to last for so long. Plus you've got your clothing. Like You must be extremely yeah. good at packing. It's the basics, isn't it? Food, clothing and shelter. That's what yeah. you've got to take on any of these things. I know what I'm like. You know, I go to Melbourne for two days and I've, I've packed a suitcase because we're you know, going on these big trips. <laughs> it's a true fact. Um, and you're going on these big trips and, you, and I guess your packing is so minimal. Yeah, and you end up just having I need you know, a 15 different on setups pack, for I different think. environments, yeah. you know. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So High mountain incredible. stuff, you have all your heavy-duty Gear. If um, you're in the jungle, it's different gear again. So yeah, depending on where you are, what how you can cook, it varies where you are. Altitude, you need certain types of gas and setups to cook there. Mm. In the jungle, you might just do use you take Vegemite in tubes because I used to do that yeah, when I used to go time. mountain climbing. All the time. How good is that? It's great because I yes. got that from the army too. In ration packs, yeah. we always had a tube of Vegemite, so we yeah. always carry that stuff. Got to have the tube of Vegemite. <laughs> Chuck it on a salada, you're good to go for yeah. at least awesome. a couple of hours. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So so in. Well, you're obviously planning for your next big adventure now um, and, uh, you know, booking some speaking gigs. Of course, a lot of that would have dried up with COVID. Oh, it got, yeah, absolutely cane. So they got all wiped out. I had a uh, nationwide book tour planned, 30-plus gigs. That all got canned. Um, The corporate stuff's coming back online, but it's more digital, hybrid type stuff. It's not the same, is it? Totally different. I'm not a big fan of it. No. Um, But some of my mates have embraced it wholeheartedly and upgraded their kit and they're doing quite well in that space because I guess you're still making the same money and less cost. But yeah. um, when the tech goes bad, it goes real bad by the yeah. sounds of it. So mm. it's just one of those things. I prefer the face-to-face stuff, getting that feedback from the audience. And, yeah. you know. and I think when you're going to schools, because you do that as well, you said, yeah. when you're going to schools, it's good for the kids to be able to see you. Absolutely. Because you know, they can see that you're real. Yeah. That you're actually, yeah, you're not just someone on a, on a screen. You're someone that is real and you've done all these things. So I think it, the message comes across a lot clearer. That's right. Do yeah. you actually take people through a four-part course almost, don't you? Or uh, Tell me the structure of it. I, I, I did yeah. a little bit of reading on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit old school with my delivery. I still like just a keynote slideshow with video. Um, but mainly just like some key lessons learned along the way. Yeah. So I just tell the stories and, and drop in the jokes and, and make everyone comfortable coming from where I was and what I'm doing. Yeah. But then really drive home these key lessons that I've learned along the way and give people some take-home practical skills, like asking yourself that yeah. five-year question, you know, little things like that to allow people to make some tangible oh, I'm I'm going to actually use that if, if that's okay. For sure. Yeah, the five-year question. I'm, I'm, I'm going to use that. I yep. think so too. And I'd love to get you up to come to the schools up here. Anytime. Uh, wow. We love getting speakers in. We've so. uh, got a little plan there already. We've hatched up before yeah, you uh, before up, you yeah. joined us. So, yep. um, so we'll, we'll take yes that first offline. And then ask your wife afterwards. Yes, yeah. we'll do it. <laughs> and you were both renowned um, in the CrossFit as well. Yeah. And so you both competed at a pretty world. high level. 
My daughter does CrossFit. She loves it. Yeah, well, that yeah. extreme personality took me into that world pretty hardcore. Yeah. Not much technique, just a lot of raw enthusiasm. Grunt um, and go. And, yeah, it got me through to that regional level, I guess. It yeah, regional level was pretty impressive. It's not too bad. My wife did regionals twice, so she was pretty did good she? as well. Wow. She competed in Australia and in, and in Asia. Asia. Yeah. 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 And we do love the little local throwdowns and all that yeah. stuff. But, um, That's fantastic. Yeah. You still compete? You go out now and have a go? Not a lot these days, you know. Uh, we're a bit more um, conservative with our training because it does take a toll on the body. It does. The CrossFit stuff. Yeah. Um, so we typically do a bit more strength conditioning, a bit more foundation work without going full throttle into the high intensity yeah. much these days. I did one CrossFit competition years, did you? Ago, years ago. I'm impressed. Well, I, you wouldn't have been if you saw me. Um, <laughs> was it a, a solos event, teams? or uh, No, solos. Yeah. And it was down at the Doing Entertainment Centre. Really? Yeah, yeah. Are there photos of this? I do, actually. Do you really? Oh, yeah, this is I do. Awesome. Can we put it up on our Facebook page? Uh, well, we can. The okay. first the first event was um, was a sh- like a shuttle run, yeah. and um, you had to, to start in the beach flags position, you know, like yep. at the bottom of your burpee. Whistle goes, get up uh, and run down and get into the same position so many metres away. And then, of course... It was a process of elimination. So the whistle would blow and the gaps would get shorter and shorter and shorter. Well, there was about 70 people in this. I was the second or third person to be eliminated. I got oh. up and tripped over and um, <laughs> that was that for me. So, Did you have a beer afterwards? I had quite a few. Yeah. Um, but, you know, probably shouldn't yeah, have. Um, okay. It was really, really hard. Um, and just, uh, you know, like, it was five or six different events that day they had mm-hmm. to do. I really did well on the rowing. Yeah, so you've always been good at yeah. Rowing. So it was like a thirty cow row, and um, but then after that you had to go and do pull ups, and then you had to go and do um, uh, like a push press thrusters, or thrusters, yeah, thrusters. It's always thrusters, and then it was thrusters. back through. Yeah, so um, it was great in my heat because um, I just like got a big lead. Like yeah, I just. Like, and I remember the guy that was rowing next to me was a CrossFit coach, and, and Ty Clark is a good friend of mine, CrossFit yeah, coach Ty, as well. My neighbor. Hi, and uh, he said to the guy next to me, "Now, don't worry. When he gets off the rower, he said, don't let that put you off. You'll catch him very quick on the pull-ups.' <laughs> and uh, I'd done my thirty cow, and this guy was on like fifteen. You know, yeah. and I've got off, and I got up onto the push-ups, uh, push-ups, pull-ups, and um, yeah, the first couple were good. <laughs> <laughs> and then there you go. You see, yeah. some competition. It's here, a different Luke. sport, hey. Yeah, it's hard work. Yeah, it's hard work, and then just doing those box jump burpees and over, and um, it's just hard work. And yeah, and and when the judge goes um, calls you because you didn't straight, no rep, no rep. What'd you say? <laughs> and my mate's wife nearly had to jump the rope and say, "Calm down, Hell, it's okay." Because um, you just get so aggro, you know. Like it, yeah. No yeah. ripping, it hurts. It does. That's so yeah, funny. yeah. It, it, yeah. Well, it was funny when I did it. Was it was funny. So, like, you've got two books out. Yeah. The yes. first one came out uh, 2018, yep. and the second one just came out. Fantastic. One, the first one is. Uh, life, the one, one called One Life, One Chance, and uh, I like the title of the, the next too. one. Fogger and, and Sandstorms. Yeah. Um, what is life but one big adventure? Luke, uh, where can people find you? 
Uh, online, of course, um, just go to olockadventures.com. So that's my little website, and that all has all my stuff on there, social media as well. Um, otherwise, down at Salamanca Markets on Saturdays, so yeah. slinging a few out. So good day. Yeah, that's great. You, you, I don't need to describe to you what he looks like. Um, you'll know when you see him. I think you will. I think you will. Yeah, yeah, because when you describe how fit you are and stuff, you can see quite a muster guy. Jackie would have loved you. Jackie's. We need to ring her in. Yeah. Let's ring a friend. Yeah, <laughs> we should. Your arms are huge. How she would have, loved have you ever her. measured your biceps? Oh, not not since I was about sixteen reading yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, oh, encyclopedia yeah. of bodybuilding. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Do you like the wrestling? Please say you know no. What? Please I was say buying no. some gym equipment recently oh. off a guy, John Gray in Melbourne. He was a yeah. wrestler, so you probably yeah. know all about that world. Yeah, a little, little bit. He does. I, I like he loves it. Yeah. Wrestling. And that's yeah. where your intro comes from, yeah? Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is. It's a <laughs> I bit, love of, it. bit of fun. Bit of fun. Um, one takeout, just one life lesson that you can impart on our listeners because um, we'd like to do that. Um, you know, what can you what can you uh, pass through? A suggestion, a life lesson, a oh. uh, I don't know. My, my, my whole life overarching theme, I guess, um, is the title of my first book. It's that one life, one chance. So, you know, go home tonight, ask yourself that five-year question. What if it is all over in five years' time? What do you want to achieve between now and then? Write it down. And that doesn't mean you've got to run off into the bush and, and wear a hair shirt. You just start to think about how you can start to splice a bit of that stuff into your current life, and it will change it, you know, for the better. That's fantastic. It is because I'm actually going to do that myself, I think. Five-year plans are really good. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think there's all things that we want to do and we keep putting off. But if you've got five years, that's a limited time. Mm. How, how so to find really your soulmate in how five years? How to find your soulmate in five years. Yeah, no. Nah. So Jeff, Jeff said 120 days. Five years. You can do it in 120 <laughs> days. Luke, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Thanks um, for having me on. No, thank you for coming up. Um, this has been great. Um, I could sit here and talk to you for hours and listen to all you've done um but we will see you again and um yeah keep on keeping on and uh keep the adventures going and yeah yeah let's bring keep on 2021 bring on 2021 and let's uh yeah let's keep in contact thanks so much Beautiful. guys all thanks, right Luke. uh yeah. thank you you've been listening once again to Giovanna and Grant on Get the Know How and today's been a really good episode. It's um, been fantastic. Uh, it was, I'm just in awe of Luke actually. Uh, so. I, I am too. I am too. Get out that book. Write down the five-year plan. A little bit of a man man crush thing. You've got a man there. crush. Yeah, That's a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> oh.